Welcome to another episode of the Examine Life podcast, where we take life's thorniest questions so that you can lead a more productive, examine, and joyful life. Today, we're going to talk about drinking, booze, alcohol, margaritas. And the question is, why do we drink so much? I also want to thank you all for the incredible response uh, to the last solo episode about uh, my relationship to money and encouraging me to do more of these. So let us jump in. 2001, San Francisco. Lived there for a year, my first year out of college. I'm 22 years old. We are at, I believe it's DNA Lounge in Soma in San Francisco. Uh, meet a woman, a cougar at the time. So she was probably, now that I think about it, 30, 32, <laughs> and I was 21. And trust me, 21-year-old K, K looks like he's 12. So I meet this, uh, this woman at a bar. I'm blackout drunk at a nightclub. And she says, let's go back to my room. So we go back to the room. Uh, she's at the W Hotel. And when we open the door of the room, there's the dude laying on the bed. I'm like, oh shit, oh, that's not good. There's a bunch of like powder, like lines, didn't do any uh, in the side of the room. And she's just like, this is my friend from high school and we are just catching up. And the guy's like, what the fuck? And she, I think like gra grabs like a bag, maybe some keys, and then we head out. Now, she finds me quite attractive. Honestly, I have no idea what she looked like today, but she keeps calling me Mowgli, like Mowgli from the Jungle Book. Yeah. <laughs> Keep in mind now, this is 2001. This is like, I don't know, fucking 15 years before Me Too. And <laughs> not that Me Too and Mowgli are connected, but you know, woke is, uh, you only use woke in the sense of uh, context of waking up. So yes, she's calling me Mowgli the entire time. And we proceed to go to a bunch of late night bars, the end up maybe. And then somehow we're back at our place in the East Bay. This is Oakland. I don't even live in the East Bay. So we're in the, in the East Bay, again, just like I'm, I'm 21 year old me. It's like, I can't believe I'm hooking up with a 32 year old, a 35 year old, a cougar wait until my phone's out of batteries. At this point, sun's rising and we make it back. And I'm like, okay, starting to sober up. This is probably not a good situation. This is like before Uber, like you're in a different place. I'm wearing like my Banana Republic, like club, club clothes. She takes me to her house in Oakland. I think like another friend shows up, another guy friend, friend. There's like kids toys everywhere. And I'm just like, I need to get the, like my safety is at risk. I need to get out of here. I sneak out of the house. I start running just so she doesn't catch up with me. And then I have no idea how I get home because guys, Google doesn't exist at this time. There's no Google. So you have to like figure out like you have to use like real maps and stuff. Anyway, I make it home. My friends, they're laughing about, you know, different hookups that they had. And, but you know, they're like, where the fuck were you? We were super worried about you. And so this is me as a 21 year old. And this is, this is probably, I was going through the stories. This is probably one of the more 
more out there stories. I had to share with y'all because she fucking was calling me Mowgli the entire night. And again, 21-year-old kids are like, like, I'm hooking up with, you know, like, I'm hooking up with a cougar. Like, this is so fucking cool. In my, like, cheesy-ass outfits looking like a fucking 12-year-old. So, anyway, I bring that up because today we're going to talk about my relationship with alcohol. There were three phases. All right, I'm 44, so that was 23 years ago, that story. And the first time I ever got drunk was the senior year of high school off of Zima. Y'all call it White Claw? We called it Zima. It's fucking nasty. Zima's disgusting. I didn't like beer, but okay. So three seasons of drinking. So season one is what I'll call Blackout Island. Season two is going to be called Rosé Every Day. And season three is going to be called Casamigos City. And so I'll break it down. I'll use those as my anchor point and we'll reference a bunch of stories uh, as we go along. By the way, definitely check out the old the episode on my relationship to money if you haven't seen that one. It's called Why Did Kaylee Wall Street? All right, so 21 years old, Blackout City. I mean, dude, we, we hosted an event in New York this summer, so to, to the 44 year old kid, I'll give you all the time references. 2023, there were probably 70 people at Berry Park in Williamsburg. Shout out if you came out to the event. Thank you for your love. I would say half, if not more, of the people were not were drinking water, which blows my mind. Like blows my mind if I think back to like, well, A, A, my life currently, but my life, a lot of people are younger than me. And I was like, damn, people are like, are are they on gummies? Like some of them might've been on gummies, but you see the difference in wellness culture. Someone's like, people are dealing with their trauma now. Like 20 year olds are dealing with their trauma now. Y'all were not, I like to say little T trauma, just like insecurities and, and, and fears and things like that. But so that would be one, one theory is like, why were only 50% of the people drinking is like people are dealing with their shit earlier. That would be one, one theory. The second thing is they're, they're on edibles or they're on DMT. I'm like, oh, Brooklyn, I don't know. It doesn't strike me as like a DMT microdosing scene, but like Austin or San Francisco, I don't think people are microdosing. And then the third, fucking this dude, this motherfucker, Andrew Huberman. Andrew Huberman's show, I actually don't listen to the show. And I don't know why, maybe I'm probably like jealous of the, the, the rise of his success. I think I'm just bored by science and optimization and hacking. Yeah. Drinking's bad for you. Sleep's good for you. Meditation's good for you. Right. Uh, we all have shit that we need to go to therapy for. Um, I haven't been on the Andrew Huberman one, but I did listen to the one about, I started to listen to the one about alcohol. So I started to listen to it and I heard one, one thing and I turned it off right away. I heard one thing from Andrew Huberman and I turned it off right away. He said, if you have more than one drink a week, you're going to fuck yourself up permanently. Not his words. I added that part. But it was bad sleep, liver. Actually, Matt Ting said cancer risk, disrupted gut, prevents REM. So, you know, he gave a compelling case. One drink. I heard that. I'm like, this was a year ago I probably heard it. Not listening to this. Turn that shit off. And we'll talk about, about why. 
But it shows the power, man, that people listen to that podcast. It shows that people are reckoning with the consequences of alcohol. It's kind of hard to make an, a compelling argument that there's any benefit. So, okay, so let's go back to the seasons. Season one, Blackout Island. That's probably 20s until I met Lisa and we started dating seriously. So that's probably a decade. It's my 20s. So, you know, I won't bore you with details. Worked our fucking asses off, you know, 80, 100 hours a week and so much energy, making a lot of money and just like blowing off steam. So we were like, we were probably, our group was probably the less aggressive partiers. We're kind of like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like go like blackout on Saturday and, and Friday and Saturday night. Thursdays go pretty hard. And then Wednesdays, maybe sneak out for a couple of drinks. So that was the pattern. You know, it's like a bunch of 20-year-old bankers. You're all single. You're all trying to like hook up and make money and blow some steam. And if you're like, why the fuck do I work so hard? And you have all this money for the first time. And so I think, and it's like, it, you know, going to Yale and then going to Wall Street, basically college continues, Right. And I think if you stay on that track, I think college continues to continue. I see it in my town, which is like a USC town. College definitely continues here if you went to USC. Okay, so we're drinking. We're, we're like blacking out. I mean, we would meet at this apartment. It was called the Batcave. It's these, the, the pressurized, well, you take like a, a two-bedroom two and you turn it into a fucking five-bedroom apartment. And we would get like, like probably like stoly. We were like Grey Goose, not even at the beginning. Stoli, Grey Goose, not like the $10 bottles of vodka, but maybe like a $30, $25 bottles of vodka. And we would just play drinking games. We would play drinking games and like play an asshole, played a ton. Like we couldn't play Flip Cup and Beer Pocket as much in the city. Lots of drinking games, but it was really just, we had a killer week, but like how can you blow off steam as much as possible? These are a group, I mean, some of you know, know some of my friends, I'm not going to name them by names, but we're all kind of like child of immigrants, like pretty nerdy dudes in high school and college, getting a taste of that, that Wall Street juice, you know, fucking getting hyped with it. But still like, I mean, at the end of the day, we were like little, little kids, little boys, like trying to be cool. We were so, so many of us were so scared to talk to women. Like it was crazy we were so scared that's that's right i think that's a a big reason why we drank a lot was we didn't know what else to do with our time we had worked so hard and we were like why are we doing this working so hard we need a reward right it's kind of like the reward system and we were just like at the end of the day like when you need that sip of alcohol there's something that you're trying to escape and some edge that you're trying to take off. Look, we'll go deep here. I think for me, I've always had this like fundamental fear of, of being unlovable. And so, and I don't even know, I've said this before, so I won't dwell. I don't even know where that came from. Like, yes, you know, I had tiger parents, you know, the classic get good grades and, you know, you'll, you'll be rewarded, but so loving, so, so doting very even tempered, like mild mannered, not even even tempered, just, just very 
mild-mannered, lots of friends. But I think that, you know, I've shared on different podcasts, like I had this fucking, this core fear that I would just end up alone. Like, I think I once asked someone, I'm like, hey, in like a moment of vulnerability, I was like, hey, if I'm not able to find a mate, a, par a partner, a wife, is it possible for like a single guy to adopt kids? And they're like, no, that's like, that's really hard. It's really hard for anyone to adopt kids, let alone like a single guy, you weirdo, in my moment of vulnerability. And so I think like for me, you know, there was hitting on women, meeting women. And, and guys, this is like way before, I, I mean, this is before match.com. Right. So like you actually had to fucking talk to someone at a bar. Like there was no, no algo helping you. But I think it was that, that, like that fear, like that, that core fear when you, when you're fear, when you fear your own unlovability, like, yeah, you're going to want to drink and yeah, you're going to need something to put yourself out there for the rejection that could ensue. Right. So I think that that was a big part of it. I think too, I mean, I think the culture has changed, but your bosses would get fucking hammered, right? I had a boss that would drink at the bar by himself because he didn't want to go home. And so he would like get drunk before he would drive in his car because he'd rather to do that than like see his young family. So I think there's just like, there's a lot of just bad robots. Anyway, so, so that was, that was a, a long, long period. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, it was, it was fun as hell. We had so many stories. We took so many trips. And now we're like, look, we're, we're still, we're those old guys that, you know, on text. Remember that time that, you know, I, I was, I was texting our friend earlier. I'm like, well, can you help fill in some of the details from the Mowgli night? And they're like, sorry, we were probably blacked out. Yeah. So that was that time period. I was, you know, the other interesting, that was a weird noise. So like, it was like chirping or something got super excited. By the way, I love these solo episodes. I'm always I'm channeling my inner Theo Vaughn. If you have never listened to Theo Vaughn, you are in for a trip. Theo Vaughn podcast. And I love Emma Chamberlain. I'm also cha channeling my Bobby Althoff. Althoff? Uh, check her out. Bobby, A-L-T-H-O-F-F. -F. Super awkward, but just something about her. So anyway, I'm channeling this energy for th for these solo episodes. I have no idea where I'm going with this. Also, just like barely any notes again. Okay. So what else was happening in the years? Another pretty cool thing was the techno scene. So there was a big progressive house scene. For those of you who know, these are the days of like Twilo and Vinyl, which was then became Arc, Sound Factory, a little bit before Cielo, Limelight and Tunnel were kind of on their way out. And so this was actually had like two different groups of friends. There was the like Wall Street clubbing, go hit on girls friends. And then there's a the Wall Street. Most of them were also on Wall Street. Everyone in New York's on Wall Street. And we would go like techno music, techno clubbing. So well before like the Mirage and on all those places, Sasha and Digweed, Paul Van Dyke, Danny Howells, Sonic Kleinenberg. Uh, I just saw someone with a Paul Oakenfold. Some some great memories. So those were those were the clubbing nights, and these were like MDMA. Y'all call it Molly now, you know. We called it ecstasy, special K. And I've never done LSD or acid. There was another one. I think that those were it. But anyway, these were the these like house music parties where they would get 
going at three in the morning and they would go up until like seven, eight, sometimes noon. There was one Danny Tenaglia at vinyl that would go until like, I think like two, two. It was like more of a gay party, but it would go until like two in the, two in the afternoon the following day. And that was an incredible scene. The, the crazy, the funny thing about that scene is there is like a, like a real tribalism or diaspora of those people because you, the, the people that were in that scene are like, some of them are crazy, crazy successful now. There was something about that scene that attracted a certain type of person. And again, maybe I, I probably have like Rose rose-tinted glasses about that time, but it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful time. I don't think that in, in that case, like, I don't think the drugs ever like really were, it wasn't, you know, like that they played a big role, but it wasn't like the thing. And yeah, that was, that was, that was, that was a really, that was a really cool time. And it's actually cool to see that that scene like really lives on in New York. I'm just way too tired to go to a party that gets kicking at, at three, uh, in the morning. So, so yeah, that was kind of the first period of, again, this like really hardcore blacking out immaturity. And just, I think, I think we were having the early flashes of a midlife crisis in our twenties, meaning like we're doing this job and, and it's, it's killer. Like, why are we doing this? We have these nagging insecurities from our childhood. Some of them involve like, will I fall in love? Will I date? And, and, and so we want to numb those away. And then we have this other kind of like fear of death. Like what's the point of, of this all like nihilism. And you're like, oh, let's make that feeling away. So it's just like this, this culture of just kind of like make, make that uncomfortable feeling go away. All right. That was season, season one, Mowgli, Mowgli season blackout. We would actually call it Blackout Island because there you'd be like, who went to Blackout Island last night? Like, God, we were such shitheads, man. So that was, that was season one. Now, before I go into season two, if you're listening to this, now if you're listening to this and love this existential self-inquiry, self-awareness, I would encourage you to join one of our group coaching programs. They're fucking awesome. The people are unreal. I love, I, I, I run them with my colleague, Marion. I love them. They're, they're super moving. Uh, we just did one today on the psychology of money. But yeah, it, it's, a, it's a very similar vibe. Not like this drinking vibe, but we would talk, we would definitely, there's a lot of people in the audience use, are using alcohol as a crutch. So, all right. So join that, radreads.co. And if you're listening, please, it helps so much if you leave us a five-star review and rating on Apple. Spotify, hopefully both. And if you're watching us on YouTube, smash the subscribe button. All right, season two, Rosé every day, Rosé every day. So season two, I think was probably, so that's like 30 years old, like right when I started dating Lisa, 30 years old till like COVID, the start of COVID. So that's what, 2020, so I'm 41, right? So it's been, it's, it actually maps out almost perfectly. It's like my 30s. My 30s was kind of the healthiest relationship to alcohol that I had. And in part, it was like the usual. The hangovers are getting worse. 
you're like more settled in your career, you're more settled in your personal life. You might be married, you're getting married, your partner doesn't want you going to fucking Blackout Island every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So yeah, but yeah, you are maturing. So this 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 season's rose every day. I I think in this season, it, it definitely is still, you know, by the Andrew Huberman methods, still a lot of alcohol. I would remember like back in the day when Lisa and I were first dating, we would go to, you know, we'd go out to dinner, this like, you know, young banker type trying to wine and dine, the cool Brooklyn artist. And we just like buy wine, we'd buy a bottle of wine. And it was kind of a very like, oh, let's split a bottle, let's split a bottle of wine and have a cocktail, which I don't know, what's that, like three drinks per person. And then maybe you go out to a party, meet some friends, go go have a couple of drinks. So. I don't know, like just to put it in context, I mean, the, the blackout island is you're talking like 20, 20 plus drinks in one night. It's like stretched out over a long period, but it's, abs- it's absurd now that I think of absurd. And here you're probably like six, seven over the course of a Friday or Saturday, but you don't do it every, every Friday, every Saturday, but still, still a lot of drinks, casual, casual cocktail beer during the week. But this was a fun time because it was like going to concerts and going out to like more dinner parties and like day drinking, like PS1, these like outdoor, like day drinking, if you stop day drinking, and usually when you're in a serious relationship, there's a very strong catalyst, a regulator to stop. But that was, you know, that was a much healthier relationship with alcohol. If I, you know, Lisa is not, she drank more in, so this would be like her early, late 20s, early 30s. We're three years apart, but she's never been a big drinker. And so that almost like put this kind of cap on me if we were out together. You know, again, that was a healthy period. A few things to to call out there. I think, you know, as I think about the number, like the volume, I think one of the things that you're probably asking, like, you, you are saying to yourself, like, you had a serious drinking problem. And I never, I never thought that I had a drinking problem until much more recently, but I still don't think, I've never taken any steps to change my drinking, mostly because, and I, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, is that I know that if I wanted to stop drinking, I could. I've just chosen not to. And maybe that's a telltale sign of, of an alcoholic. I don't know. I don't know enough about the science and physiology, psychology of alcoholism. But that's the thing I would say to myself, and I'll say out loud to you, is like I never felt like I had a problem because if I ever wanted to, I thought I could stop. That would be one thing. And the second thing, which we'll address later, the second thing was that I was a very happy drunk. And so we all know the dark, angry, scary drunks. That was not me. I was the one that would want to hug people more and embarrass myself, do the worm, you know, in the middle of a club or bar. There was a time when I would find bicycle helmets or helmets and then just like, run into walls, like kind of like jackass style. That was, you know, there's probably a few pictures of that. 
thank God the internet. Hey, oh, by the way, thank God cell phones did not exist during this period. Really, like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. That was why I didn't think I had a problem. And again, I think in this, that 30s phase, it was much healthier. Like I was much more serious about my career, much more established. And why is it called Rose Every Day? I think the funny thing is, you know, I'm naturally slim. I don't, for a long time, I didn't need much sleep and I like to exercise. And so the alcohol like never showed up on my body, although I would probably argue that that amount of intense partying probably accelerated my male pattern baldness. So that would be one thing is that like, I I never, and I could function, like I could just hit a meeting and the next day on four hours of sleep, having had, you know, five, 10 drinks without, without a problem. We did this in the, that blackout island period all the time. We were much more junior. So we weren't usually leading the meetings, but even in the second period, like, you know, it definitely was very feasible. What else happened there? So in that period, I stopped drinking beer. What was my drink of choice? So the drink of choice in the 20s was like Red Bull vodka, Long Island iced teas in the earlier days. The snake bite, remember that was, what was the snake bite? That was SoCo and Lime. God, makes me want to fucking vomit just thinking about that. Uh, SoCo and Lime, yeah, Red Bull vodka, vodka soda. Tequila wasn't tequila. It's funny to think about these drinks. Like tequila wasn't a, a popular drink. This is again way past. This is a pre-financial crisis, early two thousands, before keto, fucking before a lot of things, but before keto, before Ariana Huffington's sleep thing. So those were the drinks of choice, and Bud Light, Bud Light, which is which is actually funny now that Bud Light is in the crosshairs. But yeah, this is Bud Light. We just would drink a ton of Bud Light, and we loved it. And Lisa was like, "Why do you drink that shit beer? It looks awful. It tastes awful." So then in my 30s, I would say, so this was probably right around when I left BlackRock. I went to my nutritionist and she said, hey, you're at risk for type 2 diabetes. She's like, you're not there yet, but it runs in your family. And if I were you, I would start taking this seriously. And she had me do a food, a drink audit, a food and drink audit. And I was like, yeah, I have probably like 37 drinks a week, like 20, you know, 20 of 25 of them are beer. And she's like, you got to stop. Like the highest leverage thing for you is to stop drinking beer. I, I basically stopped drinking beer that summer and I really haven't drank beer since. Now I feel like shit when I drink beer. And so the beer drinking stopped. That's when I started to drink cocktails more. Rosé, yes, I will own my, I will own how much I like rosé, although that, that ship has kind of sailed a bit. And tequila, no, and white wine, white wine. She was like, white wine, rosé are, are good if you're going to drink. And, she, and I was like, can I still drink? She's like, yeah, you could still drink, just, just don't drink beer. So that was the 20s period. Oh, I'm sorry, 30s period. That was the rosé everyday season. Leads to kind of the early days of kids. And again, I think that that was, the healthiest relationship I had with alcohol, which I know is not not saying much given what I've just shared. That gets us to season three, which is Casamigos City. So I, I brought my little bar here. I got some Don Julio. I got a high noon. I actually don't like high noons. These fuckers cut waters. Those play a big role in this little Grand Marnier. 
Oh, if you're on the audio, I'm just showing bottles of alcohol. Like halftime. I think this will go like an hour. And then Jafar, that was a secret ingredient for, for the skinny margarita. So Casamigos. So now we're kind of in the third season of drinking. And this is where things really start to change. So again, I'm probably like, now I'm in my 40s, my early 40s. I'm, yeah, I'm in my 40s. I'm 44. Two big contributors to the change. Maybe three. The first, COVID. I don't need to explain to you guys that when you were working all day, stuck inside, homeschooling, that the only way to break up the day, it's a nice rhyme, the only way to break up the day was like a three o'clock cocktail or something like that. So the only way to break up the day was a cocktail. And again, at this point, like my prediabetes is still a concern, even though I've cut out beer, but my doctor, my nutritionist is like, Tequila and dark chocolate is good. So that was like, that was one thing, one big change, COVID, obviously. The second was that's when Rad Reads as a really became a company. Before that point, you could really think of it as a case, a freelancer. And there was no direct reports and there was just this like freedom. And I noticed this almost immediately is once I hired a team. We got up to five people. I could not mentally, I didn't work that many hours, but I could not mentally escape work. And that was, I, I was always, always, always thinking about it. So that if you're, this is a talk about, this is a part about entrepreneurship that they don't talk about. Like, yeah, I love my entrepreneurial life. I love the freedom, but especially when we, when we had more than like, non-contractor employees, I literally could never stop thinking about work. And maybe COVID played a reason, but I, I, I think I realized that there was a big change in my mental health in, in that point, which then contributed to this kind of next chapter of alcohol. And so, and there was a third one. What was the third one? I don't know if it was, it was the third one I had in mind, but the third one was this identity of kind of being the margarita guy. They call them, you know, I go to a family reunion and like, is, are we having kegaritas, right? And it's like, what's K's recipe and this? And so, you know, I, I had concocted, not concocted, everyone in fucking LA drinks skinny margaritas, but because I'm the louder voice in many rooms that I show up in, I was like, let's make margaritas. Let's make skinny margaritas. Let's make skinny margaritas. And so the... The recipe was Casamigos with a splash of agave and lime juice. And what we have here, this bottle of Jaffard, which is pomplamousse, which is grapefruit liqueur and super low sugar. And the, the best part is like very few hangovers from that. And so again, like I think like psychologically, I, you know, there was, you give me a constraint, like you can't drink beer or you give me this constraint, like you need low sugar. And I would just be able to find a way to make that happen. That was a big thing because now 
there was this identity, you know, I would tweet about it. I made reels about it. It wasn't huge, but it, it was it was something you become known for, right? And and it was delicious. They are delicious. And they didn't feel like they had a real health consequence, you know, keto-friendly, zero sugar, no hangover. Like, fuck, that sounds like an incredible drink. I, I fucking want one right now. So that was another thing that happened during COVID. And the last thing I would add is these guys, these these cut waters, right? So they, they, they're basically the canned spirits, the canned liqueurs. And like, dude, those are, those are not, I think that in general, it's like people are drinking more, but the drinks that we drink are way more, have way more alcohol. I hear weed, weed smokers say this a lot. Like the weed that you buy now in a, in, in a dispensary is fucking like 10 times more potent than the shit that we would buy in the street. And so I think like everything is so much more potent. So these cutwaters, they had the cutwater margarita. We would pound these during COVID and, and, and just like, we're like hanging out with our kids is that they, they had 12%. Some of them had, one of them has like 18% in a can that tastes delicious. That's not normal, right? You should not be able to drink three beers worth of alcohol in a can in a minute because it tastes so good. And so I don't, I don't feel like enough people are talking about this, but it just seems like everything like the quantity of the stimulant, the weed, the alcohol is just getting higher. And I think as a society, we probably have very addictive um, personalities. So, so that was really what was going on in that period. And it was like, I think, I, I think the first six months of COVID was probably like two to four drinks every night for six months. So what is that? 180 days. And these aren't like, these are heavy pours. That's the other thing. Like I was tricking like heavier pours. I brought in the Grand Marnier for the floater. And so, you know, I could see it creeping in. So that was one thing. Inability to take a break, quiet to stop thinking about work. That was one. I think a general nervousness about work. I was never nervous about COVID. I was just cautious, but I wasn't, you know, that didn't, that, didn't scare me how that was going to like change the world or change pr- profoundly change m- our lives. But yeah, so that was the the drinking during COVID and in this last season, which we which leads to basically now and and again it was pretty contained. If I if I really had to think about it, I would drink like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so like always like keeping the rules and probably have like two to three drinks for three nights. But if you look at the alcohol content, they probably, it was like two to three drinks, but they were doubles or maybe triples. So it was a lot more. And I think I'm starting to realize that in, in hindsight. The other thing that changed was that when I started, when I would get drunk, I started to get angrier. And it, in fact, like, I would get specifically get angry at Lisa. I would lash out. And that felt so scary to her where it's like, hey, he's like the jolly, jolly drunk and just happy. And now there's this like, he fights back and and he can be mean. It happened like a handful of times, three times, I think. 
but enough for the warning flags for all of us to go up. Again, for me, alcohol has always been, I never feel like I'm doing enough, right? It's this co a constant, everything needs to be productive. And it's not even like, is it for money? I don't, I don't think it's money. Is it for scarcity? No. I think I've done enough work that like, I'm not scared about running out of money. I'm not scared of, I'm good with where I am status wise. You know, my ambition feels healthy-ish. There's only a few things where my mind could just shut off from work. Alcohol was the biggest. And then it was like extreme sports. Like I boxed for a long time, CrossFit, surfing. I think about work all the time and rock climbing. I, dab I, I dabbled with a bit. So it's like, it's literally the only time that I can be at peace in my own head. So then the question becomes like, why, why can't you be at peace in your own head? Right. And that, by the way, is why I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that I could smoke weed. I'm the worst fucking weed smoker ever. I get super tired. I then get super paranoid. And then I get super hungry. And the super hungry part is actually quite problematic as someone on the brink of like pre-diabetes is like, no, I just, I can't scarf a bag of M and of Oreos down. Like that has like really, really bad consequences. I just can't do that. But guess what I want to do on the occasional time when I get high. So, so back to this question is like, why basically like the only time that I could feel totally at peace was when I was drinking. And it wasn't even like getting hammered at this point. It was just just trying to, pres like anything, like trying to preserve that feeling as long as possible. When I was listening to Tim Ferriss, he said the most important quote that he thinks of is, what, what are you unwilling to feel right now? Right, think about that. What are you unwilling to feel right now? And I think, I, I, I honestly, gang, struggle to put words to it, but let me, let me try. Like, what am I, un like when I feel, it's like, Oh, I, I didn't do enough. Okay, I didn't do enough. What what like what does that mean? It's like yeah, I guess there's still some game chasing. Like you don't have enough followers, haven't made enough money. It's not nearly as loud as it used to be, but it's 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 still there. That's one. Another is like, well, what do you like you you need you need a drink. What are you unwilling to feel right now? It's like whatever conflict you have in your life with a loved one, with a friend, with a client, with a client, whatever. What conflict are you unwilling to face, right? And it could be a micro-conflict or it could be full-blown conflict, right? I think that's, that's why I don't have a ton of conflict but in my life, but I think there's just the friction of being human, you know? I, feel, so I think that's another one. Kids, kids are exhausting, right? And so, so you're like, this kid's like, dad, I want a snack, I want a snack, I want a snack. And you're like, Leave me alone. I'm on a Zoom call. Leave me alone. Zoom call. Dad, I want a snack. I'm on a Zoom call. I want a snack. And you like get them the snack and they're like, oh, I hate these snacks. Like immediately, my brain is like, when is it acceptable for me to drink in that moment? Right? What are you un what are you unwilling to feel right now? And what is it? What is that feeling? Right? 
when your kid frustrates you to the point that you're like, I need a drink, what is that feeling? Is it, it's obviously you, you love your, your kid. Is it like, I shouldn't have become a parent? Is, I, I think for me, it's like, you're taking me away from a productive activity or you're ruining my happiness in that moment, right? I, I think so. And so it's like, what? Every time something ruins your happiness in that moment, then you need to have a drink. That's what I think about. It's like a fear of death. No, but I, I do think that there's this kind of fear of, of unworthiness still. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy. I'm sweating. These fucking lights are hot. It's crazy. There is a fear of, unworth, of unworthiness, of unlovability. I don't, it, it makes no sense. Maybe that's why you grab the ball. It's like, ah, I have this disorienting feeling that I'm unworthy to, but I don't even know to who. I can't explain it with words, but there's some unease. I'm not at peace. That's what is. I'm not at peace right now. I want something to bring me peace, right? And I've done a lot of talk therapy. So I know the things that don't bring me peace. It's striving. It's, it's all the stuff I've been saying over and over. I think there's something more to that because I know it. Intellectually, I know it, but I don't think I, I don't know it in my body, right? I'm going to read you two quotes from this book. It's a phenomenal book. It's uh, When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. Actually been recommended twice on this podcast, so go buy it. It's really good. Really, really good. We'll put the links in the show notes. Okay, so I'm going to read the first quote. It's actually funny. These are like little six-page essays. This one's called Not Causing Harm. So she says, refraining, right? So we're talking about that moment. You love your kids, but they bug the fuck out of you for a snack and you made them the snack and they're still fucking pissed. You know that moment about parents too. What happens? You're like, like, when can I drink? When I need, take the edge off, take the edge off, take the edge off. You know, hype. This is what Pema says in this chapter called Not Causing Harm. Refraining, not habitually acting out impulsively, has something to do with giving up entertainment mentality. Entertainment mentality. Through refraining, we see that there's something between the arising of the craving or the aggression or the loneliness or whatever it may be, and whatever action we take as a result. There's something there in us that we don't want to experience. And we never do experience because we're so quick to act. So let me give you a play-by-play, right? There's a craving. I need a drink. There's something, there's aggression or loneliness or whatever it might be. There's something in there we don't want to experience, right? What are you unwilling to feel? And we never experience it because we look at our phones. We eat candy. We drink. We watch porn, right? I don't, right? So there's this concept of refraining, not habitually, right? That's where the alcoholism comes in or addiction to alcohol. Not habitually acting out impulsively. Read another, same chapter. Pema children not causing harm. So she says mindfulness is the ground. 
Refraining is the path. Refraining is one of those uptight words that sound repressive. Surely alive, juicy, interesting people like you, listener, would not practice refraining. Maybe they would sometimes refrain, but not as a lifestyle. In this context, however, reframing is very much about the method of becoming a dharmic person. It's the quality, this is important, I, I highlight this, it's the quality of not grabbing for entertainment the minute we feel a slight edge of boredom coming up. It's the practice of not immediately filling up space just because there's a gap. Pema Chodron, when things fall apart. All right. Oh, man. I need some water. No notes, by the way, gang. Well, I have like a few notes, but really just the names of the seasons. All right. So where to from there? One of my coaches was like, hey, I think you have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. This was in June. We are in September, in August. And he said, just, just observe. Just observe. And I said to him, you know, I'm going to try one thing. I'm going to try to not drink alone, like in my house. And Lisa doesn't drink, so I'm drinking alone. By the way, that was the majority of my drink. I'm only going to drink in social settings. Right there, that would cut out the drinking significantly because I don't go out that much. So we just got back from New York. We were in New York for three weeks. I'll tie this back to a story. I stopped drinking caffeine. And I wish it was like a sexier story, but basically I had always wondered, I'm like, could I, I couldn't have said what I said with caffeine about, about alcohol with caffeine. Like if I needed to quit, I could quit. I was dubious about that, even though it was one cup a day. Very quick story. Quick story. I had a gum recession to my teeth are a fucking hot mess from all the stress. Then I got surgery, like a gum graft. And then you couldn't drink caffeine for two days. The first two days are the two hardest days to give up caffeine. So I, I, I had no choice. So I gave it up. I'm like, you know what? Let me just extend this for seven. This was 2022 years ago. Let me, get, let me extend this for a, a week. I extended it for a week and then it went away. I slept like a fucking baby. Oh my God. The most delicious sleep you've ever experienced. Uh, and then I like, I missed it. I love coffee so much. And again, one cup. I just, I love the ritual of it. I love how it punctuates my morning. I love so many things about it. I was like, no, no, no. I don't want to stop drinking coffee. Every time I drank coffee with caffeine, it was like I had done like multiple lines. My heart was beating through my chest. I'm like this, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't exercise it off. I'm like this is, and then I couldn't sleep from like a half calf, not like a double fills. And so I was like, and I tried, it's funny, I tried to, to become a coffee drinker again because that's how much I enjoyed coffee and I had a very healthy relationship to coffee and I just couldn't do it. To this day, I can't do it. I, and people, you're probably saying like, well, I don't have, de I just, I don't like decafs, whatever, I'd rather drink water. Like it doesn't, that doesn't do it. There's something about that, ed that edge, right? You know, it's like that thing, like what, what are you, what are you hiding from? What do you want to numb in that moment? Right. So that was what happened with coffee two years ago. And I think I had this thing. I was like, I think that's going to happen with alcohol one day. And I just, I didn't know when, but I think it's like, you're going to take a break and then it will be more painful to come back on than to stay off. 
So that's basically where I land. So I basically said, I'm not going to drink by myself in starting in June. And I think I've, I got drunk once with, with, with my homies in, in New York. And then I think I've had maybe six, no, eight drinks since July. So like eight drinks total in almost two months now. And I think like coffee, there's just like, you reach five o'clock, four o'clock, whatever your fucking rule was, you're like the words, like, what am I unwilling to feel right now? Right. And again, I wish I could tell you with words what that is. I can and I can't like, there's just, it's a feeling, right? And then there's the moments when it's like you get into a f- argument with your spouse or you have a bad result from a work thing. You're just like, oh, I want that drink. And what happened is once you cross, that's really hard the first five times it happens. After the sixth time though, you're like, whatever. It's that simple, right? And so, so what, what has happened since? Like, I, I basically swapped out. You guys are going to think this is crazy because I already exercise like 90 minutes a day. I basically swapped out my need to drink like that evening cocktail to take the edge off with like a 20 minute workout. And that there's probably still some kind of like numbing there, but I'll t- that's, that's a W in my book. I'm fucking, I'm in the best. You imagine it's like no drinking for two months and exercising twice a day. And I don't eat sugar for the diabetes. It's like, I'm, I'm in the best fucking shape of my life. And, and by the way, I feel really, really good. I don't feel like when I see my friends, like I'm, I'm excited to have a few drinks, but honestly, I could already, as I say, I could like taste it. I'm like, I'm almost like not the hangover, but I could taste that shitty feeling that I've learned to just be with. And I'm please, I I hope you can, this is not meant to be a holier than thou podcast because I got a lot of shit sorted out in my life, but like, this was probably not one of them. And I'm like, kind of scared like I don't I don't want alcohol to go the way of coffee for me where I just like it it, like alcohol has been such a key part of my life social fabric coping identity hosting so I don't know where it's gonna go from here I do have very addictive tendencies and everything so I think that all or none works tends to work better for me but I also don't think that like using, we all know that like using willpower is not the way to do this, to fix these things. So, so I do think you need to like see the other side, right? And, and I think the biggest one is like you get that thing that you're unwilling to feel and then you can go distract yourself. And then that thing keeps coming up, the thing you're unwilling to feel. Or you can sit with that discomfort and at first it, fucking sucks and then it gets smaller and then it gets smaller and then it gets smaller and then it's like almost not a thing and i've noticed that like right now we there's a bit of a family situation happening that's that's pretty high stress and there's a it it would be one of those situations where it would be very tempting to just drink and make that feeling go away but you can sit with the feeling Super present with my kids, way, way, way more patient. But it is that. It's like, look, at the end of the day, 
I think why people, maybe why I drank was because ultimately I wanted to find that lasting, and it sounds woo-woo, but that lasting inner peace. We all know that alcohol does not deliver that in a sustainable way. It's a, it's a, 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 num, a number. I f- do feel very lucky that I've gotten a, a taste of what that piece. Again, it's that one moment when you're just in that discomfort and you can cross the chasm to the other side and be like, that wasn't, that wasn't so bad. That wasn't so bad. That was nothing. And then you're like, wow, I would like pound these like five drinks behind me just to make that go away. I'm like, and I would imagine that a healthier relationship with alcohol would be like, yeah, you have a drink when you feel like it. I think it's that awareness that like, and, and I think it's okay to use things to take the edge off. But for me, I was taking it like, I wasn't taking the edge off. I was like cutting the limb off. So again, that's, I'll do an update. Thank you for listening. I can't believe I told started with the Mowgli story. If you're new to this, if this is like someone forwarded this to you, I literally think I'm just talking to friends. Sort of, I'm promo brain dead, but go sign up to radreads.co. We have an awesome newsletter. Rate and review this podcast. And thank you all. I appreciate it. I mean, this was very healing to be able to do this with y'all. And I'm excited to see. I, I don't think I can ma- top like money stories, drinking stories, I guess like sex stories, but that's not going to happen. Although Lisa, we are going to do some joint episodes together. So you'll get to meet her. I love you all. Bye.